Hello, everyone. Welcome to News for the Nation podcast. Uh, again, my name is Zach Wallace, Athletic Performance Specialist at Aces Nation. I'm here with Claire. She is the uh, registered dietitian that we have on staff, but titled Sports Nutritionist. There we go. She's great. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're coming to you today. We're going to talk about how to build muscle, like putting on muscle mass, because um, a lot of people want to do it. Um, general population and athletes alike, people want to do it. Um, sport coaches are telling them they need to do it, right? Maybe even parents are telling them they need to do it as well. So uh, we're here to just give you some insight on... Um, what it takes to put on mass. Um, and then, um, you know, probably sprinkled with a little bit of our, our own experience with um, resistance training and um, the nutrition that goes along with it. Yeah, the hard part. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, Claire, let's, um, let's start off with the nutrition side because as far as exercise goes, there are things that you can do to manipulate that as well but that's more of a um, I mean from a standpoint of like actual exercise that's more of a breaking down part of it and like setting up for um, the supplementation through your diet to actually help you put on mass so mm -hmm. let's start with that side what do you got for us I guess when when you look at it that way you can maybe break it down into like two segments or two pieces of the nutrition for setting yourself up to do the work that you need to do to break your muscles down. And then the recovery piece of how do you give your body the resources and the nutrients it needs to then build back up or build mm -hmm. additional muscle mass in, in conjunction with repairing and replenishing the existing muscle fibers that you already have. So we'll start, I guess, on the preparing side. So in terms of having or like pre-workout fuel or just having available nutrients um, for your workout and to perform at a, at a high intensity, it's not really going to be any different than what you would do or what an athlete would do or what I would recommend to somebody that's looking to perform at a high level or just perform in general. Making sure that you're eating enough carbohydrates so that your energy levels are where they need to be. Um, topping those off like 30 minutes before your workout. So grabbing a, a source of quick carbohydrates, whether that be like a banana, a granola bar, fruit snacks, candy, whatever it might be, whatever your stomach can tolerate so that you have that readily available energy. Um, but then afterwards, I think the recovery piece um, and then generally throughout the day is where we might get a little bit more nuanced in terms of specifics for building muscle. Um, so one of that would be being in a caloric surplus. So making sure that the amount of calories you're taking in throughout the day exceeds the amount of calories you're expending through just resting. So whatever your body is utilizing to keep itself running and, and alive, um, what you're burning through NEAT. So whether that be like twitching, um, just non-exercise activity, um, exercise, and then the, the digestion and absorption of food. So um, let's say if a person typically burns like a thousand calories a day and their BMR, so their resting metabolic rate is like 1800 calories, that's 2800 calories, right? Mm. So making sure that they're eating above that. So let's say maybe they need to eat 3000 to 3500 calories, wow. which sounds like a lot. Yeah. Um, it is a lot, <laughs> but that's going to put them in, in a positive place to have the nutrients available to then build muscle mass versus just maintaining their weight. Um, so that's number one is, is focusing on making sure that the energy is available. Then maybe we can look a little bit more into the specifics of the energy breakdown and making sure that they have enough protein available so that the amino acids that make up protein, um, can go into building more muscle mass on top of the, the existing muscle mass. Um, so that's generally what I would say to begin with, but let's, let's maybe look at, you know, what they're doing in the, in the weight room and, and how that relates to what they need to be doing in the kitchen. Like why, why does 
protein matter. Well, yeah, I was about to ask that, you know, as far as um, eating above your BMR so that you have a, a surplus, right? Like what, what kind of breakdown does that look like percentage wise uh, above, right? So you've got your normal diet and now you're going to supplement X amount of calories. What is that uh, breakdown uh, percentage of protein, carbs, fats look like? <laughs> I know you depends. know what's coming. <laughs> it, depends. it depends. It depends. Um, so typically, I think one mistake I see people, general people and athletes making in terms of maybe the breakdown is that too much is coming from protein and not enough is coming from carbohydrates and fat. So typically it's, okay, I want to put on muscle, so I need to eat more protein, right? So we're just going to bump up calories and all of those calories are going to come from extra protein. Well, that's not really going to necessarily help because again, going back to what we were, what I was saying earlier is we still need those carbohydrates to fuel the workouts you're doing and the other things that your body is doing throughout the day, your internal organs rely on carbohydrates, your brain relies on carbohydrates. So we still need to have enough carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And then we also need to make sure we're getting enough fats too. So as our energy needs go up, our needs for both of those macronutrients are going to go up as well so that our body is able to produce enough hormones so that those hormones can signal to the brain that we need an increase in amino acids or whatever nutrient to this muscle so that we can build muscle, right? So right. there there has to be kind of like maybe not a totally increase, uh, even increase across the board, but there needs to be an increase in all of those things. In terms of like specific percentile breakdown, um, again, it depends. You could probably start maybe a safe bet would be 40 to 45% carbs, unless you're, you're more of an elite athlete or competing at a very high level or a high intensity all the time, I would say maybe looking at 50 to 60% carbs. Um, protein, I don't love to do percentages, but making sure that we're getting somewhere between like um, 1.8 to like 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. Again, it's going to depend on the person, maybe how well they respond to those levels, maybe where they start out. If they're, you know, only eating like 0.8, which is the RDA mm -hmm. um, for protein, if they're only eating 0.8 grams per kilogram a day, you don't want to put them all the way up to 2.2 because they're probably going to feel really full. They might have a lot of gastric distress, mm -hmm. um, and that's probably going to be really hard for them to hit every right. single day consistently. So you could slowly build up, and maybe they tolerate one point seven five really well and they're seeing a lot of progress you could stay there until maybe you need to make a change and then fat from a percentage wise somewhere between 30 to 35 percent needs to be coming from from fat so whatever you know your your caloric goal is to be in a surplus you know, you can kind of use those targets as a good starting place. Um, obviously, working with a registered dietitian is encouraged, and they can help navigate that for you. Um, but in terms of calories, from a surplus perspective, from your maintenance, so whatever that might be to just maintain your weight, maintain your performance, maintain what you're doing, um, I usually start with somewhere between 300 and 500 calories above that per day. That seems to be a good nice. um, kind of starting place. But again, it depends. Some may tolerate more than that and yeah. still see positive changes in, in body composition without maybe more of the negative changes in body composition mm -hmm. um, or maybe feeling sluggish or bloated and things like that. And some people we need to maybe start a little bit slower because of increased feelings of fullness or they're already not really getting hunger signals. Just depends, but yeah, those are some general guidelines. I like the over two times um, or two grams per kilogram of body weight. I mm -hmm. like that. I've seen a lot of good research for bodybuilding in particular, with that number specifically being two point zero times. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely I'd love to hear you say that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and and there for a while there was a lot of speculation, or I think maybe just association of high protein with um, damage to the kidneys, uh, which there's there's been a lot of 
research recently to dispel that and show that as long as your kidneys are functioning properly and you don't have kidney disease or any um, sort of condition that would right. keep your kidneys from processing that, realistically, you can eat as much protein as you want. But I think the, the main thing with that is, yeah, you can eat a lot of protein, but we also have to make room for other right. things in your diet too because they have a purpose that and they have jobs and roles in your body that protein can't necessarily facilitate. So, um, yeah, I think high-protein diets are great, uh, especially like we were mentioning in, like, the general population. I think athletes are kind of conditioned, and they, they have it in the back of their head that high-protein diets are important and, and high-protein consumption is important, maybe because they read bodybuilding.com forums and things like that, which I think is Teen nation. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the general population, they're told 0.8 grams per kilogram a day. And that's fine if maybe you want to just, like, not get sick and not, you know, be unhealthy. But I think the general population should be closer to, like, 1.2 to 1.5. Yeah, at least one. At least, yeah. Come on. Like, give me at least my, Especially know. if they want to build muscle mass. Like, if if you just want to maybe, like, maintain where you're at. I don't, I don't think 0.8 would even really do that either if yeah. you're active, but um, that's just my opinion. All right. Now, Claire, <laughs> tell me about this. Talk to us about this point, right? I've been right? talking a lot. You don't want well, to talk? Well, I want to ask you questions based on what <laughs> you're good. saying here. Go ahead. Okay. Now, let's say, uh, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan, mm-hmm. but I still need a high-protein diet. Mm-hmm. What are the things that I need to look out for in particular when I'm trying to supplement or increase my protein intake and my overall caloric intake yeah. with, with calories that matter, not just, uh, you know, I don't know, like a lot of uh, high water fruits mm-hmm. or, or vegetables. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's really neg- negligible amounts of protein in like fruits and vegetables. You're not going to find a lot of protein in those. Being plant plant-based, completely plant-based, makes it a lot harder to get mm-hmm. enough protein. Yeah. Um, things like tofu and tempeh are great whole food sources of, of protein. I I don't love the, like, tofurkey or, like, fake chicken. Um, right, where they, you're trying to manipulate something to be something different. Right, yeah. yeah, and I think that's this. It's like the same argument that like if you make a protein cookie versus like a cookie, like you're make you're trying to make something into something it's not. Yeah. So like if you if you need protein, but you want something sweet, like make a Greek yogurt parfait or something, because it's the same thing. Right. Or just eat the dang cookie anyway. <laughs> um, I don't love I don't love those as like a sole source of protein just because there's a lot of like extra things in there that I don't necessarily think are great to have all of the time. Um, they can be helpful to fill gaps if we need them, and typically they're higher in sodium, which for an athlete that's working out at a high intensity, that could be helpful with yeah. electrolyte balance. Um, but the other thing that vegetarians and vegans need to be careful about or just mindful of is that a lot of these higher protein foods that are plant-based are also really high in fiber. So you have like beans, legumes, um, nuts, seeds. They're primarily higher in carbs and fats, but they they have protein. They contain higher amounts of protein, um, but they're also high in fiber, which is going to make you fuller, faster, for longer. Right. And the other piece too is that Plant sources of protein are less bioavailable than animal sources. Um, So basically that means that your body can't utilize as much of the protein or as much of the amino acids as animal protein. It doesn't mean your body can't use them um, or doesn't use any of it. Does that mean I need to eat more of the plant protein? Correct. And Mm. it usually has less protein per serving unless tofu tempeh is pretty comparable, Um, but it those foods usually have less protein per serving when compared to animal proteins. Right. So that also makes it harder because you have to eat more to get the bioavailability, but then you also have to eat even more to get even the same amount of protein. Right. So that makes it harder too. Wow. So there's more reliance on supplements, mm-hmm. maybe protein powders. Um, 
trying to fill gaps. Like let's say maybe an athlete or maybe somebody doesn't like tofu and tempeh and they eat just a lot of plant-based, like maybe they eat rice and beans together um, or other things because not all plant sources are complete proteins. So that means they don't have all of the essential amino acids, whereas animal proteins do. So you have to be a little bit more strategic and make sure you're getting all of those amino acids, not necessarily in every meal, but throughout the day Mm -hmm. so that your body has those to build muscle. Right. So when we're talking about building muscle, being a vegan or vegetarian, it's not impossible. It does, you can't not do it, but it just makes it a lot harder and you just have to plan, prepare and be a lot more strategic. With what you're doing, man, I, I know that seems like um, a, a lot of things to consider. Um, with what I would assume are some added benefits mm-hmm. from that actual diet. Not I myself am not uh, a vegan, so no, I'm but, not either. I think if I think it's great to go more plant based because I think most people don't eat enough plants right. and eat enough of, of a variety of those types of foods. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think most dietitians I would say live by the, the motto of like, let, let's add versus take away. What, what can we add to make it better versus you can't have that or you shouldn't eat that. Yeah. yeah. Restricting. So in terms of plant-based versus like strictly vegan vegetarian, if you're doing it for ethical or religious reasons, obviously that makes sense and that's a personal choice but if you're just doing it because you think it's healthier it's really maybe not because you're you may be unintentionally restricting nutrients that your body needs right, to reach right. the goals that you have set for yourself so instead of restricting meat or animal products finding ways to add more plants in your diet mm-hmm. can be really helpful to maybe even add some more protein on top of what you're doing and getting it from a plant source but then also getting a lot of micronutrients that maybe you're not getting right. in in the diet you have right now. So I like that approach of being more plant-based in addition to maybe a whole food diet that does contain animal products. Yeah. Yeah, that's great information. Uh, that's a lot to take in there. Hopefully everyone uh, is able to rewind that and listen to it because uh, there's a lot of great little nuggets. Mm-hmm. Maybe Chicken some ve- maybe some vegan nuggets <laughs> in there too. So, um, yeah. So from a, a training perspective, uh, we get into um, exercise uh, with external load, like uh, resistance training, NSCA essentials. Um, that that's a, a common textbook for strength coaches coming up through uh, their undergrad for sure. Um, they're going to tell you that it's going to be a range. Off the top of my head, I think it's between six and 12 reps. It, it could be more than that. I don't know what the – I can't remember what the most recent one was. Mm-hmm. But um, it's going to be like I think 50 to 70% uh, as far as 1RM. But let's be honest with you. Who's doing 1RM on things that you're trying to get bigger in? Um, like, I mean, sure, you may do it for bench because that's a, like a main movement, right? That's a, uh, I think they would classify that as a core movement like squat and deadlift, uh, but you, you're not maxing out on bicep curls so you can get your 65% for your, you know, 10 reps at the gym that mm-hmm. day. So honestly, um, it's that one to me is more, if you're trying to gain mass and in, in, in the term that we use called hypertrophy, I would say you need to find that um, risk, uh, like self uh, perception of how hard it is, right? Like it should probably be somewhere between uh, a five and a seven, right? Um, and probably getting harder as you get to the last few reps, obviously, um, as you keep going through things. But it's not a five and a seven on like a scale of one to 10. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, one to 10. One being very easy, 10 being the hardest that you could possibly do. Um, and obviously, if you're at the higher end, you should probably not be doing it for a ton of reps. You probably can't even complete it for a ton of time. But anyways, so just kind of disregarding that and getting back to like um, actual um, 
sets and reps and not the intensity, right? Because you're going to find the intensity. And that mm-hmm. intensity is going to change as you acquire either skill from it or you acquire more strength and you're able to do that exercise a little right. bit better, right? And it's relative to each individual right, right. person. It, it, it's, all, it's all individualized, right? right. I mean, you could uh, dumbbell curl 45s and I could only dumbbell curl, you know, like 25s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's uh, – and I'm still going to get a similar result because of where my body is and how it's been trained. So right. it's all relative to where you are at that exact time mm-hmm. and um, kind of using the knowledge to try to get where you're going, which today we're talking about hypertrophy. So um, a lot of it's about creating more tissue stress than nervous system stress. And and that being like, it's a little bit lower intensity. So it's not as straining on your actual uh, nerves. So when your brain said, sends signals to your muscles to actually do the movement, right? That that's very fatiguing if it's a, a really heavy load or it's a really fast movement. Mm-hmm. You, your your system can get worn down by doing those things repetitively, and they can only take so much. But if it's a lower intensity movement, like like I've been mentioning, dumbbell curl, mm-hmm. that doesn't take much brain power, quote unquote, to actually do. Right. So you're not necessarily acquiring stress as much in your nerves as you are on the actual tissue itself, which is doing the work. And that's where a lot of our hypertrophy work is going to happen. Um, Claire, I love that you're nodding along, even though you have a master's in kinesiology right now. You probably know every single bit of this. Yeah. But um, I'm definitely, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think most people need to hear this because I think that's important. Most people, I think when they think of like building muscle, they're like, oh my God, I have to go hard every single day. I have to lift as heavy as I can every single day right. in every single movement I do. Well, I mean, that's another conversation in itself. I think people need to be a little more realistic with where they are. But I would say my opinion as a uh, collegiate strength coach would be to say, evaluate yourself after your warm up, mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times when you're going into the next day's lift, People are a little bit sore, you know, like they, they don't feel 100%. But once you've done a thorough warm up, that includes a lot of different ranges of motion, di- uh, directions, muscle groups, um, uh, increasing in speed or intensity, you know, as you get closer to what you're going to do. And, and you should be sweating a little bit, right? Your, your heart rate elevated. Make that decision after you do your thorough warm up, right? Because your body is going to feel a little bit better or it's going to feel maybe, maybe worse. Right. <laughs> so if you feel really tired and you're going into another session there, get a great warm up in just like you should do every single day and then make your decision after that. But again, that's another conversation. I think that's great advice. Yeah, Most yeah. people would just go into the weight room and they be just, like, ah, oh, this is going to be a terrible workout. I'm so sore. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And that's, that sets the tone right. for the workout right. versus okay, I'm feeling kind of sore, but we'll see what happens after I warm up. I like that. That's good advice. Well, I'll say this too. If you're going into a a workout and you execute a warm up after that, you still don't feel great. If you're in a athletic setting um, that has to do with in the educational realm, right? Or or maybe in the professional realm, you should have a, a professional there with you that is able to make the right adjustments for you if you're not feeling great. Right. After you've been quote unquote primed to do what that's happening. Right. Right. Like it it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be like, I feel worse than I did at my warm up or after my warm up, And now my coach is telling me I need to continue to do this, you know, max effort or, or high dynamic day. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe that's not the type of day that you need, right? Like maybe your periodization needs to be a little more flexible or, um, your body just needs a little more time to make the adjustment that you've made, right? right? So it's all about having a professional there who knows what to do and knows how to make those adjustments for you. Um, so yeah, talking about that. Um, but getting back to um, talking about hypertrophy there as far as rep ranges and go. Now, I, I'm going to say my recommendation I, I, I'm fine if you go to 12 reps, I'm fine with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's okay. I think that the really sweet spots, depending on what you want to do, is either eight. Now, I know, I know a lot of great strength coaches that for young lifters or early on in, in sessions of like kind of working up and then maintaining for a phase, five sets of eight, you know, if you're trying to build mass, well, that, I mean, you look at that, it's 40 reps right there, right? Mm-hmm. It's, but 
it's in a great spot where I can go a little bit heavier, right? I've got more opportunity to perfect my movement if it's a if it's like a, a squat or it's like a multi-joint movement or something like that, right? Or or a bench press or something, right? Overhead press. I'm just gonna keep naming them. <laughs> but yeah, um, if it's something like that, right? I've got more opportunities to perfect my movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I, I'm able to accumulate that tissue. Uh, stress like we talked about right Mm -hmm. now that's metabolic stress and so now we're stimulating all sorts of type all sorts of uh, responses to our body right Right. inflammatory response obviously Mm -hmm. because we're breaking stuff down protein synthesis is going to be stimulated at that point so man i mean we're talking about actually bringing stuff to our muscles at a point because we're breaking them down right Mm -hmm. and this is kind of the the precursor or the just the environment that we want to enhance by having the uh, nutritional surplus, the caloric mm-hmm. surplus, like right. you talked about, right? Um, just us setting that environment so that what we've been doing at the table is now ready to go or ready to be put into action with what we're doing um, on the floor or during our training sessions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so. I like I like six to eight. I, I really like six, if I'm honest, because now we're flirting with strength and hypertrophy, mm-hmm. and I can get a little bit of both. But um, yeah, I mean, th- I, I think honestly, like as you're early on, if you're younger, you should probably stay a little bit higher, right? Like, oh gosh, I mean, I don't want to be the three sets of ten guy or whatever. <laughs> but like, regardless of where you are, like you should be able to do the movement well without pain. Like full range of motion, no pain. You should be able to do the movement, right? And, and then continue to do it. And then your body should have um, built up or adapted to the stress that you're putting on it um, until a point where you're able to do those five sets of eight or you're able to do that right. uh, higher six or higher intensity six, right? That mm-hmm. can still get those um, that tissue stress going on there. Now, obviously, if you get higher intensities, you're going to go into the nervous system thing that we talked about. So if you really want hypertrophy, you make sure that you're doing something um, that's a little less taxing on your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want, you're not going to feel it in your brain. But anyways, you're going to feel like tired, right? Like I, I used to call this power fatigue. If you did a really demanding like power like workout, workout that was fo- focused on uh, high force production at a fast rate, um, you can just feel different, right? Like you don't feel, like your muscles don't feel tired just you yourself it's just mentally like full body yeah mentally kind of. you just feel like man i'm i'm fatigued mentally yeah. um anyways so let me get back to this uh hypertrophy i'm going to bring something up here that i read uh research from uh is out of japan okay mm-hmm. um i'll just name the first <laughs> author here uh tetsuya hirono mm-hmm. okay uh, that was the first author listed on this page. Okay. So this article title of it is relationship between muscle swelling and hypertrophy induced by resistance training. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I've never seen this article. Um, and, uh, I was able to, to read through it all and it's, uh, <laughs> interesting. It, it's very interesting. Also, it kind of makes me laugh just because of the like bro science around it. That mm-hmm. I think is kind of like, waiting to you know wrap its arms around this article (laughs) but uh so essentially just the cliff notes dummy version of what this article says is that for an exercise program that you're going to do the muscle swelling as they call it which everyone else would call the pump Mm -hmm. right like pump yeah right (laughs) the blood coursing through your muscles, whatever you want to call it. Right, right. So this uh, basically suggesting that, or or they they have evidence to to show that you may be able to tell whether or not that program for that exercise is going to give you hypertrophy gains down the road. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now they used a six-week program. Okay. Okay. Um, they also did this uh, on the quadriceps muscle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did this on basically yeah. common muscle to yeah. use yeah. in research. Right, right, right. <laughs> so they did this on a large muscle um, just to kind of see, you know, how it was going. Right. Um, the. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 
um, I, I'm getting my articles confused. I almost started talking getting about sidetracked. I almost started talking about blood flow restriction, but uh, yeah, that's for another day. Right. So um, basically, they were able to take the swelling from a sonography mm-hmm. of the the first okay. session. So after okay. the first session, they went zero minutes. Uh, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes after the resistance training exercise, right? Was it just one exercise? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and so th- they went through that and they were able to tell based on the swelling, whether or not it was going to improve. Right. So what they did was they took the swelling, um, after the first one, right. Mm-hmm. Um, they took the muscle thickness before they even did their first training session just so they can kind of see like where they were. And then right. they took the muscle thickness at the very end after the six weeks, right? And so the data that they took had a uh, positive correlation mm-hmm. um, that after that you could tell it was uh, after the six-week resistance training uh, protocol, muscle thickness increased significantly. A significant positive correlation was found between muscle swelling and muscle hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this study suggests the greater that the greater the muscle swelling immediately after first session, the greater the uh, muscle hypertrophy after the entire program. So the more pump that you got after the first I training can just see session, a bodybuilding article right now. <laughs> right, I know this is crazy. More pump equals more muscle. It, it more <laughs> like more gains, right? Yeah. So essentially, it's what they're saying: the more pump you can get on the first training session of that program in that muscle group, if you continue to do that for at least six weeks, right? Because this is what this. Uh, if you're going to follow mm-hmm. sort of the same structure here, then you can have a positive increase. You can expect to gain muscle mass in that area that you have the pump from. Were the subjects in the article, were they untrained people or were they already like relatively active people? Because that would be kind of interesting to see, like, are they already trained? So so can they, are those gains maybe going to be even like minimal or are they new to lifting and they're seeing like these, crazy increases in in muscle strength. No, this is a good question here. Um, So the 26 people started it. I think only 22 finished. They had a couple things, a couple people drop out. Um, They were young, healthy men, Mm -hmm. non-athletes. Okay. And they were not in regular resistance training. Interesting. <laughs> right. But that's how it goes, right? Right. Uh, that's but how it'd it goes. be interesting to see the opposite. Like what right. would happen in like elite bodybuilders? Would they see the same thing or maybe not elite, but even just kind of different. I don't even know what you would call it. Different groups of active people. Uh, okay. So I think that they'd be hard for them to get the subject. It'd be hard for them to get bodybuilders, I think. But I would like to see other studies. They've got um, resistance trained you know, like regular People, resistance yeah. trained, like men and women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would like to see that as well, because even I know, uh, from a college athletics perspective, you bring your new freshman into our, you know, program mm-hmm. and they start doing the strength training with us, their gains are through a roof, right? right? They're seeing exponential growth because mm-hmm. they haven't one, they either haven't done much training at all, right. um, in the weight room. Mm-hmm. or two, they haven't done this type of training, right? right. So their body is adapting to something new mm-hmm. and they're seeing way more gains than like my juniors and seniors are, right? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I 100% get that, <laughs> right? And so this this article is obviously a little skewed towards that, right? Like yeah. it's probably um, it's probably like the person who does their New Year's resolution and goes to the gym and, and they like, man, they have a great first day. Those mm-hmm. that person may have also gone a little overboard on their first day, as right. as those people tend to do, right? Mm-hmm. But if those type of people were able to go in and do that, right, then they may see that. Yeah, but you're that's right. Very interesting. I don't. But but you're right. Limitations of it mm-hmm. definitely the uh, subject group. Yeah, because right? I can say like. When I ran cross country, like we didn't do a whole lot of resistance training. Like we did do some for more of like, you know, injury prevention and, and maybe just trying to help minimally, like mm-hmm. maybe not put on a bunch of muscle mass, but to just kind of build muscular endurance. Um, and then when I switched from that to doing more resistance training and CrossFit, like 
my gains were through the roof. Like mm-hmm. I got stronger very quickly versus like the four years that I was doing minimal to moderate, I would say resistance training with cross country. It was crazy. Yeah. And so it would be interesting to see that in, in maybe a different population. Right. What well, happened? I, I think in, in all fairness here, I think that's if I've trained cross, cross country before, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the times what we're trying to do is reinforce good movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to just develop the person holistically mm-hmm. uh, because the sport is it's so like, I don't want to say one-dimensional, but it is one-dimensional. You, you're just you, running. You're just running, and right? I mean, the surfaces are different, so sometimes maybe your impacts are a little off, right? Mm-hmm. And like what you might experience from the lower leg standpoint is a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, but but essentially, um, resistance training improves the the running economy, and that's right. really what we want to do, right? We want you to be more efficient mm-hmm. when you run, maybe because your body is able to withstand uh, more forces or greater forces or forces in particular areas a little bit better. Or right. yeah, so um, you know, I don't think that's bad, but that's a good no. that's a good um, that's a good example that you gave, right? Because it's almost it's not like a not like an untrained thing. It's maybe a little more towards like an undertrained or you just weren't trained in the same way. Right. right? Because the goal was not hypertrophy. It's completely different. Right. right. Yeah. So when the goal becomes that and you're actually training for that, right. you're going to see a lot of changes. Absolutely. Especially in the beginning. But you're right. I would love to see that because even as the competitive season changes for athletes, right? Mm-hmm. The training goal yeah. changes, right? And then it, Let's just take American football, for example, right? There's a lot of hypertrophy and strength being built, like in the wintertime, summertime, right? Like, yeah, kind of in, yeah, kind of in those off season areas. And then Mm -hmm. when you get to in season, it's really about force production and staying healthy. Yeah, just maintaining as much as you can. Right. So you're not necessarily concerned about getting big unless you're like a redshirt freshman or something like that, right? Right. You're those people who are in those specialty groups. Mm -hmm. But how about those? you know, sophomores, juniors who come out of the season, come out of their, you know, dead week, you know, phase for like two weeks after the season ends. And then they come back into that program and hit hypertrophy. You know, I would love to see, you're not going to get a study with that, but I'd love to see, like we talked about with resistance trained, like, um, what do they call them? They're not like novices or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. they're like, they got intermediate experience right. with uh, resistance training. Mm-hmm. Love to see that. That would be great. Yeah. And, and if, the sa- if the results stand. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Um, okay. Let me- somebody do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, tell us. Somebody. Or, or I don't know. Maybe we could throw it out there. And you know what? Brian Mann used to tell us in uh, all those strength conditioning conferences, you know, he was like, if you don't see research you like out there, then you go do it. You know? Okay. We just need to find some athletes that are willing subjects. to be our subjects. We, we don't we don't even need athletes, right? Like we said, yeah. we just need um, resistance trained men and women who will mm-hmm. follow a program for an entire period of time, That's true. and then get everything approved and then it's write our it co-workers. up. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, let let me jump into this, okay? Okay. Uh, I talked about blood flow restriction, and I, I almost lost I know, it. I, I said know. it was for another day. Yeah, I it meant was. it's for later. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not for another day. Okay, so um, blood flow restriction, where you use the cuffs. I believe the Japanese um, term or the Japanese style of it is katsu. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, so I, I've heard a presentation on it before um, in service. Given it was in service by one of our um, interns when I was working at CSUN, um, is that it, it can be helpful in hypertrophy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the stress that it puts with that um, hypoxic state where you're not getting that oxygenated blood flowing in there. Right. Right. Uh, just the stress buildup is is similar to um, what you would experience over a long period of time of like or over a longer set of adding up the reps and the tissue damage and all that stuff we talked about earlier. Right. More volume. Yeah. 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 Um, so. But it was first used in the clinical setting. Right. For rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked so great. And now people were doing, uh, you know, research, research, research after that. So, um, 
few research articles that I've uh, been over and read through were talking about um, high high intensity mm-hmm. um, resistance training versus low intensity uh, blood flow restriction training, mm-hmm. right? And saying and showing, um, providing some evidence to suggest that the low intensity blood flow restriction is just as effective mm-hmm. as high intensity resistance training with without blood flow restriction, right? Yeah. Um, which, honestly, I mean, I think if the research proves true and you can do, you can do this workout with less weight or less reps or something and get a similar result, right? It might be better for someone who is maybe in a time crunch that might have uh, the availability or access to the resources to mm-hmm. use blood flow restriction. Uh, I mean, what just pops in my head is like one of those rich banker guys who doesn't have a lot of time to work out in the morning, but it's got a ton of money that can just, you know, buy these by the by the you know blood flow restriction cuffs mm-hmm. or something like that you know so um i was gonna ask who you like what population you think that would be helpful for and that is not what i envisioned you answering the question well, well i mean that was just kind of like a i don't know whimsical yeah. like popped in my head type of yeah uh, thing but when you think of like time those that are time restricted what about like high school or college athletes i think that could be true like I think there's merit to it at the college level, especially like if you want to use it in a rehab setting um, mm-hmm. to build some cross-sectional area. I, mm-hmm. I definitely think there's merits to using it. I don't know that everyone has the access to do that. I don't know everyone has right. the uh, knowledge and experience to do it either. So mm-hmm. it may be a little like out of reach for some people to, to use BFR. Yeah, that's um, fair. High school level, I only envision... Uh, to be honest with you, I don't envision any high school level program using this, to be fair. But if they were, it would be like private school, mm-hmm. giant facility. Right. Somebody that two can strength coaches. and have access to it yeah. and, and then have the personnel to appropriately facilitate that process. Right. Maybe IMG does it. I don't know. They've they've got money and, and the resources for it. So they've got the manpower. They've got the, the mm-hmm. financial support to do it. So maybe they do it. I don't know. But. Uh, I wouldn't envision any high schoolers do it, but, um, okay. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, another research that I came, the the one I was talking about, the, uh, low resistance or the low intensity BFR and the high intensity one. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the limitations that I saw from this research article was the way they set it up is they have their test subjects randomly selected to do one limb mm-hmm. um it was lower body uh it was a uh, leg curl so it was okay. uh, on a machine so one leg let's just say it was their left leg is doing the blood flow restriction their right leg is doing the high intensity resistance training mm-hmm. okay so um over the period of time i think it was eight weeks um to be fair i mean i know the sets and reps and intensity <laughs> but mm-hmm. but uh, the weeks is slipping my mind right now but I think it was eight weeks. It's at least six. So let's say it's six to eight weeks. But um, the BFR is 50% of their 1RM. So they establish their 1RM for whatever device and movement this is. Right. And then uh, they're going BFR, 50%. First set's at 30. Okay, there were four sets. 30 reps, 15 reps, 15 reps, 15 reps. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they go 30 and then 3 or 15 like right after that. Um, With... Uh, a little bit of rest time in between and then the cuff is readjusted as it needs to be like in between sets. And then after they finish that uh, recovery time, whatever, then they go into the high intensity on the other leg. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's three sets of eight at 80%. Okay. So I'm sorry. It might be that... three sets of 10 at 80%. Right. Okay. So kind of in that rep range that you were mentioning before. Right. 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 So closer to, in there right but obviously it's a little bit it's a, a lot higher percentage depending on what you're mm-hmm. well i mean relatively it's it's all the same so anyways so they do that right but my my association with the limitation is as they got the results um they saw similar stuff across the board right so it's mm-hmm. like the low intensity bfr had like similar strength gains or strength similar uh power output or mm-hmm. um like at the end right so like both legs showed improvement over the time um, 
My problem with the research, though, is by doing the same person, different legs, you're obviously accumulating stress in the body from a metabolic standpoint. Right. So we've got hormones flowing in the body as a result of either one. Correct. Is that's shared like it's shared across. It it can't be it's not localized to just the only leg that you're doing it and on. Just that muscle in that leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Those things are flowing in your blood and then it's, you know, it's they're up for grabs everywhere. So everyone right. everyone gets to take part in the success here, right? Mm-hmm. Um so like I wonder if they had any limitations overall holistically because there's research out there about exercising one arm and benefits going to like residual benefits going to the unused arm right right? so i'm curious about if those results were shared across Mm -hmm. both because they were using the same subject instead of using one person doing one protocol Mm -hmm. and the other person using the other protocol right it's hard to say right 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 there's no really control to compare right right however let me go into your question about um who would be using this or Mm -hmm. how maybe high school or college people would be using this Given that we, I, I don't know that uh, about the um, the limitation that I mentioned. Like I don't know otherwise, right? Like all I know is what they they have for me here. Mm-hmm. If there was a way to, let's say, there's a fall sport coming in, right, mm-hmm. or a winter sport, right? Where you've got a really really short time to deal with somebody or like train them, right? Right. But you need to do something, and in the sport of soccer. Um, uh, men in particular, they have a high rate of, um, hamstring injuries, right? Mm -hmm. So if I needed to train someone's hamstring, right. For health, for strength, right. If I needed to do that in a short amount of time and I needed to maximize my results here without a ton of fatigue, Mm -hmm. right. Maybe I could do BFR on their hamstring. Right. Maybe Maybe I could keep my intensities down. Mm -hmm. Maybe that might, I mean, that might be a feasible way to train them and build some type of strength mass. You know, that might Mm -hmm. be a way for them to get some benefit in a short amount of time where you don't have a whole off season to train them with regular resistance exercise. Right. Right. And you're not completely like annihilating them before they have to start competing. Right. Because if I'm just throwing them into stuff, right. And then they've got to go perform on the field at high speeds, you know, and, and really high uh, magnitudes of changing direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe they end up getting injured because I put them in that situation before they needed to be. Right. right? Um, but Interesting. it might be it might be a way. I don't know if it's plausible out there. I'm just throwing out my thoughts for may that that could be a good situation to justify using it. Right. Right. The I, access I, is there, and if right, right, can, if you can make it work, yeah. And I think looking mm-hmm. into further research is probably going to be even better than just going out and buying it and assuming that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, you should definitely, I think, cross reference a lot of different research before that. Maybe mm-hmm. talk to uh, other professionals, but hey, th- that could be a, a beneficial thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it could be an option. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, why don't we maybe like as we're kind of wrapping things up, like rapid fire what are your top three things or top three factors from a strength and conditioning perspective that play into building muscle or hypertrophy like just to kind of summarize slash yeah these are the three things you need to focus on um i would honestly i would say try to go after multi-joint movements way more than single joint movements uh we talked about like hormone release it's a lot higher in single joint movements um uh, it's a lot higher in multi-joint than it is in single joint. I would definitely say, guys especially, do not neglect your legs, okay? They are the larger muscle groups that you have in your body. And by working larger muscle groups, you get a higher hormone response. So you can still do your curls and, and everything like that and all the upper body you want. But maybe you should squat first or lunge first and make that a little challenging for you so you get a hormone response that will help you build muscle in the areas that you want 
Okay. Right. Uh, and then my last one would probably be stick within those, those rep ranges for your hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're new to the game, probably like eight to 12, if you're resistance trained a little bit and you've built up some type of like strength level, um, and, um, adaptation level for your body, mm-hmm. you could probably flirt more with six to 10. Um, sorry, let me give you some sets too. I mean, you might need that stuff as well. Uh, three to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, gosh, I mean, bonus right here. You, uh, at least need to train those muscle groups at least twice a week. Mm-hmm. I would say three, if you're definitely trying to put on muscle mass. Okay. What about you? I think it, it just goes back to what I was already saying. Number one is focusing on your energy balance. So making sure you're in an energy surplus, net positive energy, eating more calories than you're expending. Um, which reminder, you're not just expending calories through exercise. Uh, you're expending them just being alive <laughs> as mm-hmm. a human. So that calorie surplus, maybe the surplus isn't so big, but the overall caloric consumption may be a lot higher than you, you actually think it is, like what we were saying before of like 3,500 calories. Right. Um, number two is, well, actually, before I go to number two, making sure that that caloric surplus or those calories – are balanced. So making sure that the majority of it is not coming from protein, we still want to prioritize protein, but making sure we're still getting a good balance of carbohydrates, whether that's coming from grains, fruits, and vegetables, and fats to, you know, round out that diet. Um, Number two, prioritizing protein. So kind of trying to stay within that 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilogram could be a little less, could be a little more depending on the person. Um, And number three, I don't think I talked about this, but um, I think prioritizing recovery. So you kind of touched on it where we were saying, you know, you don't want to necessarily go hard every single day and tax your central nervous system and and that sort of thing. So really focusing on recovery and nutrition is a part of that, of making sure Mm -hmm. we're giving those nutrients, we're putting in, putting back in what we took out um, in terms of calories and energy and making sure you're sleeping enough so that your body can actually make sure it's performing the systems and the processes that need to be performed to actually stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So to actually build that muscle. So getting eight to 10 hours of sleep a night, um, you know, taking rest days, all of those things are going to culminate. And if you're able to do that consistently, you'll probably see more positive benefits faster than if you were to just kind of try and, you know, work through it and do as much as you can. And as soon as you can, it's probably going to negate what you're doing. Right. So those are my top three calories, protein, and recovery. Man, that's great. Yeah. Great information. A lot of info out there. Hope you enjoyed it today and got something out of it. Um, We'll see you the next time on News for the Nation. I'm Zach Wallace. I'm Claire Igo. See you.